This is Headshots, the psychology and gaming podcast with your hosts, Osway Cardona and Dr. Kelly Dunlap. Welcome to Headshots, the psychology and gaming podcast. I am Osway Cardona with Kelly Dunlap. And this week we are essentially, if you'll allow me, Kelly, <laughs> I pretty much just want to talk about Waypoint's coverage uh, um, during the week that we're actually recording this. It'll probably be two weeks um, after Waypoint did this when we publish, but that's all I want to do. I want to talk about something that Waypoint is doing called at play in the carceral state. Is that is that cool? Can we do that? I guess. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, I'm really I'm really excited about this. <laughs> so Waypoint, my favorite gaming site, which also full disclosure, we were featured in a write up a couple weeks ago. Ooh-ooh. Which is very cool. And so at play in the Carlsruhe State is their dive into stories about how gaming intersects with prison and prison culture. And just a side note on last week's Psych Tech, we talked about prisons and technology specifically. So I'm going to read a little piece, a letter from the editor, Austin Walker, about this coverage that Waypoint did for an entire week. And there may be articles that come out after we record this um, related to to the topic, but uh, here is something that he released at the beginning of the week. It says, there are over 2 million prisoners in America, men, women, and children who are confined to prisons, jails, or detention facilities. And despite the fact that they cannot walk to a GameStop or load up Steam, many of them play games. This week, Waypoint is devoting a substantial portion of our publishing schedule to exploring this part of games culture. We're calling it at play in the carceral state. What did you think of this? Did you did you check, you know, how much of the coverage did you check out? Did you do you have any favorite articles? What are your thoughts? Well, I I think I read about half of them because there's there's quite a few. There's a a bunch of stuff and they're all about games and how they they impact people in prison systems. So the inmates as well as the guards and and the families and kind of surrounding. So I didn't read all of them cuz there's there's a lot going on here, but there's a lot of really interesting perspectives. I think my favorite article, though, was the one about uh, playing D&D in the Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dragons in the Department of Corrections. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was an entire article about how playing Dungeons and Dragons while incarcerated is, you know, for, for the players, it can be nearly therapeutic, breeds a sense of community and cooperation and brings people together. And they point out in the article, you know, despite gang affiliation or uh, race or any other dividing lines that, you know, would come across in prison, that these these guys just eventually got to the point where they were able to kind of see past that. And I think the quote is, you know, the game superseded all of those, all of those other boundaries. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, um, really fascinating to see different ways that, that games manifest uh, in places where you don't necessarily expect them, and, and in this case, prison. Yeah, and some of the themes in there in the articles that that Waypoint published this week are related to Guantanamo Bay because they actually sent a reporter to Guantanamo Bay to to talk to people about games, which is fantastic. That's why I love Waypoint. And a few of the other articles talk about D and D. And so some of the stuff blends together for me because I read a lot of the articles, and and some of the themes do carry over, and even some of the people that they talk about. But one of my favorite stories was in, in that article that you mentioned. I think it was in that one where essentially they they say that. There's probably a D&D game going on in every single prison in America. And that uh, in some of the stories that they told here, there was one about a guy 
who and, and I don't know if you read this one about who he ended up in solitary confinement because he attacked somebody who was essentially harassing them while they were playing D and D. Yep. And he he was saying that you know it's like we only have a few hours every day to ourselves, and that's the time we have to call our families and go to the gym and play games if we want. And if we choose to do that with our time, don't come in here and mess that up for me. Like it was worth it to go into solitary confinement to just stop that from happening so they could continue to play their game. And then he started a D&D game in solitary confinement by yelling through the ducts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was a role-playing game or not, but he did start some kind of game. And I believe that's the same person who he, I, I believe he robbed a bank and then the cops couldn't find him, but then they ended up catching him because he registered for a D&D event in the city. Yep. So, so D&D is just like a, a huge part of his life and that translated into his experience at prison. That story alone is just is just fascinating to be able to 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 learn that because I I, I didn't know that things like this were happening or, or that you know someone who loved D and D so much was I'm happy to hear that he was allowed to play you know in, in prison and he was actually able to share that with other people because it was such a big part of of who he is and I love the stories of uh, how like dice are contraband so they're not allowed so the the way that people were were constructing d20s and 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 able to essentially replicate the effects of dice in in prison like that was that was really interesting because there's some really creative ways to kind of get around that but but you need that d20 you you, you need that rng so what are some of the examples of the the creative ways they came up with to get around that limitation so it seems like the the easiest way is to have a deck of playing cards and then remove some of the cards and essentially have 20 cards so that you can pull from the cards from the deck at random and have your one through 20. I think one of the things that really impacted me the most was uh, it was the story about uh, the gaming library inside Gitmo. Mm-hmm. And yeah. apparently there's a, there's a library inside Guantanamo Bay and that library contains, uh, they kept saying PlayStation 3 games. Lots and lots of PlayStation 3 games. And what what got to me was uh, the official you know, government responses about the content of the library. And it referred to, you know, ensuring humane treatment of, of prisoners. And that included games. And, and to me, that's, I, I guess it's going to sound kind of weird, but it's a really special moment for me when, you know, games are being realized, even digital games, not just board games like chess, but digital games that you would get on a console are are being uh, realized as important parts of, you know, who we are as, as, as human beings, as, as part of our humanity is to, you know, engage our, our brains and our social nature to to play these games. And I found that really, really powerful. And in a way, it's like declaring it a human right. Right. It's like we can't regardless of why you're here, we cannot deprive you of food, water, shelter, games. <laughs> yeah, we need to update Maslow's hierarchy now. And the Bill of Human Rights, essentially. Make sure yeah. games are in there. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Oh, but yeah, I mean, they sent someone to Guantanamo Bay to study how games are, are influencing prisoners there. And they went to your your ordinary prison to see how how people are using games to, to kind of get by and uh, as we mentioned last week on Psych Tech, kind of this idea that there's some backlash that people on the outside sometimes think that, you know, if you're incarcerated, you shouldn't be able to have any fun. You shouldn't be able to, uh, you know, play a game or enjoy 
anything that that has any kind of recreational benefit to it, which I'm adamantly opposed to because I think it's ridiculous that, you know, you expect people to go into an environment as potentially traumatic as prison and come out better people. Like, it just doesn't make sense. But again, games are being used, uh, you know, by the by the inmates um, and even by the the guards and other staff there as a way to kind of deal with the stress that comes along with being inside a prison. Yeah, that's one of the coolest parts where they talked about how there there was also a library of games for the people who work there, and how important it was for them to be able to have their own um, form of entertainment in that way because games are such a big part of so many people's lives and. I, I like that they were able to show that side of it as well because that's a that's a hard job and the conditions there aren't aren't ideal. I don't think anybody who works in a prison is like, I love my job because it's so comfy and uh, and it's easy. And essentially, I mean, and in this particular case, we're talking about people who are service members, right? So they're they're military personnel for the most part. As someone who worked in correctional facilities, I can tell you that those thoughts never crossed my mind. It wasn't like a fun, happy place. No, no. I mean, no. It, don't get me wrong. It's not like the places I were, at least, weren't doom and gloom and absolutely terrible. But you know, you're always happy to leave and go home if if you can. And yeah, it's just it's not it's not a place you want to be. Yeah, and then again, and and Gitmo is like there's there's an entirely different conversation to be had there because you are on a military on an American military base in another country, so you're far away from home, and to have access to these things that are from home or like home or something that's familiar. And, and you know, we've talked in the past about how easy it is to connect to other people through games. If you've played a game and I've played a game, or even if we haven't, right? Like we can come together and just learn this new thing together and have fun together and connect that way. It's powerful. One thing that I've noticed, um, you know, with my, my little guy, he's turning, uh, he just turned one. And, you know, I'm very much involved in making sure that he socializes and has, you know, friends to play with. And it always strikes me, you know, when little kids start to play with one another, like you can go up to a complete and total stranger and ask, hey, do you want to play? Or do you want to play a game? Or can I join your game? Like that's such a, such an important part of, you know, development and, and figuring out your social skills and, and finding your place in the world. And kind of goes to show that there's some basic humanities that you, you can't strip away. And that, I don't think you should, but that's that's me. And again, I know that being pro-prisoner is ten, tends to not be a popular perspective, but I, I stand by it. Yeah, but again, it's complicated. Right? Like, like, how far are you from punitive at that at that at that point? If that's what you care about, and again, I don't. There's no there's no answer to the to this, and 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 everybody has a different opinion. Such a hard topic to talk about. Like, I'm I'm glad we're we're talking about it for two weeks because I hadn't really thought about this in 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 a bigger sense. And at least for me, I, I know you worked at correctional facilities, and I've worked with with family members of people in the system. And there, that idea of connection, that's something. I mean, I th- I feel that even if you like, let's say you and I play a game together, and then we're separated for a very long time, we can continue to play that game separated and it still kind of keeps us connected in a way because it's something that we used to share. Yeah. And it was very common in before the digital age that you could play, uh, I think it was called chess by mail. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so incarcerated individuals would have people that they would send letters to and who would reply where they would basically write down the the move, you know, rook to, this is going to show how much, I, how little I know about chess, but rook to square eight Mm-mm. or whatever nope. and then they'd mail it off and then their their 
chess pal would make another move and send it back. And so they kind of went back and forth and they had this this board that they could communicate. And uh, yeah, it, it has some really great had some really great effects. And you can still see that happening now with uh, in terms of necessarily individuals who are have to be incarcerated, but people who have limited mobility. Uh, I know uh, my grandmother, she plays words with friends with my mom. And my mom told me, you know, that's that's how she kind of checks in on my grandma. You know, if it's been a day yeah. or two since grandma played a letter, you know, she calls and, and checks in. And so, yeah, it, it, games just have this capacity to transcend, you know, barriers, whether they be prison bars or, you know, physical distance or, you know, even even social or emotional distance. You know, you can go up to a stranger and say, hey, do you want to play a game? And usually the response is pretty positive. I haven't done it in a while. Um, but yeah, I should just go find a random person and ask them if they want to play a game with me. One of the newest articles that Waypoint posted was called Pokemon Go took over the world last summer, including Gitmo. And, you know, our first episode of Headshots was about Pokemon Go and how it essentially built this community of people who never talked to each other before or had nothing in common, they thought. And then we were all playing Pokemon Go. And that article is all about how all of the service members and the guards were were playing Pokemon Go exactly the same way that everybody else was. They were getting in trouble for it. They had to, you know, um, <laughs> bring right. it up and create policies against that because they're supposed to be doing their job, not walking around <laughs> playing Pokemon Go. Like if if anybody uh, wanted to escape, that was when they they, they should have done it a year ago <laughs> when Pokemon Go was out. Yep, you missed your opportunity. Yeah, I think there was a story about how they were uh, on. There was water patrol. Like they were just perusing the harbor. And they got in trouble because they found a bunch of Pokemon out in the middle of the water and got yelled at by their boss to put their phones away and stop playing Pokemon Go because they're supposed to be looking for bad guys. Yep. What do you do when you're at at Gitmo um, looking for bad guys and Pokemon show up? You do the same thing you would do anywhere else in the world. (laughs) It depends on the Pokemon, though. Let me, you know, if it's a Rattatat, whatever. I'm, I'm not about that life. It depends. It does depend. Depends on what your goal is, too. Yeah. But I mean, that's such a fun idea of, you know, what what would Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go at Gitmo look like? Uh, I know that the author talked about doing some research first about whether that was even allowed, if it was legal to have Pokemon Go. Because there are some places where I, I guess you can't stash Pokemon, but uh, Gitmo wasn't one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because I mean, uh, I think it could get there could be some geofencing involved and apparently not there. Good for Gitmo, I guess. <laughs> and this was part of a, a bigger, like, technological innovation on that island in that they really didn't have internet for a long time. This is just for the guards. So they, bringing it back to games, they would play games with their fellow soldiers. They would, you know, poker or chess or, you know, anything like that, any kind of board games that they could, you know, bond over as a way to, you know, provide mental stimulation and social interaction and all these really important things that kind of help make humans who who they are. And then when internet did come and was reliable, then all of a sudden you see something like uh, Pokemon Go exploding. So even then it's it's a game and they're, they're connecting uh, with people all over the world, including their families uh, through games because of, the, the social nature and, and the ties that they have. So some of the stories that we're, we're talking about, they're from articles with cool titles like Meet the Woman Fighting for the Battle Against Boredom for Gitmo Staff, The Benefits of Gaming Behind Bars, Pokemon Go took over the world last summer, including Gitmo, How Inmates Play Tabletop RPGs in Prisons Where Dice Are Contraband, Dragons in the Department of Corrections, and Inside the Gaming Library at Gitmo. 
America's controversial military prison. And those are all, again, stories about people at Gitmo or people in people who are who have been in prison and are playing games and and kind of you know prison culture and games and there are other articles that talk about specific games that touch on prison culture and the experience of maybe being trapped or being in a prison and I did not read any of those because I, I kind of wanted to play the games um, yeah, but I'm yeah I and I'm curious if you have any thoughts about games in the past that have touched these topics um, or made you think about prison or prison culture in any way Well, there is a relatively, I guess, in the the Games for Change space, famous game uh, called Prison Architect. And I think it launched in, yeah, it was launched in 2012. And it's a game where you are uh, tasked to build a private prison. And so it's kind of like a construction management simulation game. And this was one of the things they actually brought up in the Waypoint article of things not to talk about. (laughs) because Prison Architect is all about the construction and management aspect, and it really ignores kind of the social side, the, you know, the more, the kind of side where you see the abuses that you would, that you see in prison or the the political and other aspects of prison life other than like the physical walls and barriers. So that is one that's been on the topic, been around for a while. I'm bringing it up as an example because it's popular, but also that it's not really the kind of games that they were talking about. The the games that Waypoint was talking about were more specifically about you know the the personal experiences, more like empathy based or understanding based games rather than uh, you know resource management type stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that counts as maybe a bad representation or or an irresponsible representation, right? Where it's only looking at the mechanics, kind of like Football Manager, right? You're not playing football, you don't care about the characters. And that's probably fun. And I mean, I would probably not want to play a game where I was running a prison, but it might be a lot of fun, actually, now that I think about it, because of the mechanics. I feel like if you enjoy SimCity, you might like it. I do like me some SimCity. But SimCity's not my jam, so I, I probably wouldn't. There's something you said that um, reminded me of something we've talked about in the past. Briefly, I don't know if you remember this. There was a moment when you had to create a game. I don't remember if it was for your thesis project, and you asked for ideas. And there was one idea I pitched to you that I've that I've had for a game. Your your description of Prison Architect reminded me of it because I I've thought of this game where there's a character moving within a space, and I always envisioned it kind of like a prison, or essentially that they had to escape, um, and they were kind of like maybe Metal Gear Solid type of thing, but where you don't control the character, but you are monitoring the character's vitals and their emotional state. And then you're able to essentially drop in different things or, or help in a way, right? Uh, man in the chair style, <laughs> right? Where you're giving things that can help that person. And I'm wondering, like, you know, after our conversation on SciTech last week, like uh, some sort of simulation where something, where you could create a game where somebody is in a prison. And again, I don't know how inhumane this is or not, but I'm, I'm thinking of it as an empathy exercise where you see what somebody is going through and what their day is like. And then you can kind of, with that prison architecture style mechanism, right? You could kind of make changes so that 
of course, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm thinking of it in a positive way, but you could totally do it the opposite way and just make the person's life worse. But as a as a, as a way to kind of empathize with people, someone who might be in a prison, you might be able to move things around and see how it could affect them. I think that that could like spark some interesting conversations around prison culture and and how we treat prisoners in our country. I mean, I think media has a, a very strong power to to do that and games because games are an engine where you say things like I did this as opposed to, you know, she did that or or that character did that. And um, I think Orange is the New Black is a really good example of how media can raise awareness. I know there's been a lot more uh, conversation, at least in, in my timelines, about um, you know, prisons and, you know, humane treatment of, of inmates and things like that uh, since Orange is the New Black has come out and it's kind of raised the the profile of inhumane treatment in prisons. And it's a little, I guess, sad to think that it takes a comedy show to make people care. But I, I think your game would have a, a similar effect that if, if people are can kind of get a sense not that you could ever really get a sense, but you can get attached to the idea of what it's like. So in Orange is the New Black, you kind of become attached to the characters. And in in games in particular, you get to insert yourself as a character. And, you know, good games develop characters that you that you care about. If you were to create something like that, you would definitely want to be able to allow hooks for people to connect uh, emotionally to to the problem. And I think that's where prison architect fails is that there's no there's no emotional hook there's no emotional connection um it's purely a numbers game and which can can be a, a commentary it's kind of like uh was it mole industria's mcdonald's game where you you know you plow over indigenous populations and you slaughter your own cows and you underpay your workers and the whole point is to you know operate like a, a capitalistic greedy monger uh, in order to get to that final dollar, but that's also a performance piece and and trying to get across, you know what what all is in what all's involved and what it's like to view people as just as numbers. And I think that is something that you would want to avoid in your game. Not that you would do that, but maybe maybe something you'd want to avoid. It reminds me of uh, No Pineapples Left Behind, which is essentially your goal is to make sure that no pineapple is left behind, but you're essentially running a school. So you're kind of herding them into, into classes and, and making sure that they pass no matter what. Um, the, the commentary is pretty obvious there. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't get it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm proposing the, the, my mod for Prison Architect would um, hopefully uh, spark some interesting conversation. There are games like Civ and um, oh, there's this one game, which actually I heard about it on, on Waypoint Radio. I want to play called Stellaris. And there's all these different – it's these civilization games where you are building these races and these worlds. And there are all these variables that come into play. And that's kind of what, what, what I'm getting at here, right? That there must be – and I don't know if, the, if this already exists, but a way for you to play with the different variables in a, in a way that's a simulation and kind of see what potential outcomes there are. And, you know, you could have like a default setting or maybe like a really bad setting and then realize like, oh, that's actually how this particular prison is run. Um, there's no this, there's no that. You know, like what effect does it have on the population if you add games, right? Like like we saw at Gitmo or if you allow D&D time or if you allow a specific, you know, playtime in particular or you, or you um, increase that. 
I mean, it reminds me a bit of uh, a Twine-based game called Spent, which I'm sure we've talked about on this podcast before, but it kind of lets you step into the shoes of what it's like to have a minimum wage job and try to make things work. And there's there's all these kinds of, uh, they're usually called empathy games. So games that help you see something from a from a different perspective. And there's a bunch of them. Then It's a really fast-growing area. Uh, I know Games for Change uh, was last week, and I saw a bunch of games uh, around different social topics, but prison tends not to be one of them, uh, much less, you know, less, uh, less obvious populations like the families of people who are incarcerated or the people who work in prisons and their families, because uh, there's definitely a lot of stress and, and it, it can impact everybody. I think of a game like Metroid, for example, where you're in a confined space and you can't move to other places. But if you go and you try to make that realistic, then it just becomes a, a prison break fantasy, right? And and I don't know that that, that doesn't really help any 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 of this. Uh, it doesn't help anybody learn about the the real experience. And yeah. Well, I, I just remembered um, the EA game that's coming out next year called A Way Out, where it starts in a prison. So you're actually, I mean, this is actually a, a prison break game, but you start seeing and you see the game from the perspective of two inmates and how they're trying to help each other. So I, I again, it is a prison break fantasy game, but it does, I think for a little while you're in the prison and you actually have to do jobs there and you're kind of living that life for a couple of days. And and that's probably an experience that I've I don't think I've ever had in a video game, and I wonder how much of that was was like what made it attractive to people and kept people talking about it. I mean, one I think it's unique stories and unique experiences because games give us a, a window into some place that would be really cool, but we don't actually want to go. For example, it would be awesome to go to Skyrim, but I really don't want to be eaten by a dragon or bit by a vampire or a werewolf or anything like that. So they're they're fun places to explore. And I think as... See, but that's like medieval settings are are always funny because when you read about um, life in medieval times, it was horrible, right? Just like... You know, poop on the streets, and 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 there's no there's no um, there's no clean water, and people are dying from the plague, and like there's no there's no nice version of that, you know. <laughs> so I think we always have to go completely like if we remove all the bad stuff from the prison experience, then what are we left with? Like, what is that game? It's like interior decoration. Like, well, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> you get prison architect. Yeah, exactly. You get prison architect. <laughs> I mean, again, it, I think it's a difference between what you're trying to talk about. If you're trying to focus on the inhumane treatment of inmates, you know, that is something that would be very, uh, you know, narrative driven, maybe not through words, but, you know, like emotionally compelling where individuals matter. If you're tra- trying to address uh, a systemic injustice, you know, that you know, African-Americans are much, much more likely to be arrested and sentenced to longer sentences than than white offenders. And, you know, that could be a very different game mechanic, um, kind of like Lim, if you've ever played it, L-I-M, which is a, a really great indie game about uh, discrimination. You know, if you're trying to talk about the terrible food, maybe you could play a version of Overcooked that's, you know, the, the jail edition. So it, 
I think it just really depends on on the message you're trying to get across, because that's going to guide that's going to guide the game mechanic. And in Prison Architect, the, what the game mechanic tells you is, you know, it, it the what's the term the rhetoric. There we go. That's what Ian Bogus would say. The rhetoric of Prison Architect is to construct things, to build things up, and to maximize returns on that. So it's very inhuman. It's very uh, cold in that kind of way. Um, even though it probably wasn't intended. It was probably intended to be some kind of, you know, awareness raising tool. And maybe to some effect it was successful because we're talking about it. But yeah, the the lack of the human element is almost a guarantee to make it a story that doesn't have any kind of humanity in it. We've talked a lot about a game that we said we weren't going to talk about. (laughs) But that humanity aspect Definitely. I mean, going back to Twine or something like it, right, where people can tell their stories. So, you know, I'm sure there are many, many autobiographies where people talk about their experience. But I wonder how many Twine games there are, you know, like how how many people are going into prisons teaching inmates how to use Twine and be able to share that experience and, and have those moments that come up and then see the actual outcome, like what really happened when you made this decision or you made that decision or or this much time went by. I think it would absolutely help to to have a better idea of what's going on in prison and maybe get yeah, this is a this is a di- discussion we had last week on SciTech. It's, you know, do people would people care enough to make conditions in these places better, which was kind of like the, fo- the focus uh, uh, last week. I don't know. I guess, it, you know, it does have to do with what your intention is, what you want people to to get out of the experience. But there's there's tons of potential there to essentially tell stories that aren't prevalent, that I've, I've haven't not only heard, but experienced, right? Because we're talking about games and there, there are definitely a lot of stories that um, there's a lot of potential for stories to be experienced from that perspective. Oh, absolutely. And again, it's just an area that hasn't been you know, attended to in terms of, you know, letting voices be be heard that maybe normally aren't. Uh, but I think that's where something like games in particular, or especially a, a VR or AR experience could be really powerful. I mean, I, I would I would love to do a VR experience of Alcatraz. You know, I've, I've been to Alcatraz as a kid and so I was actually physically there but like being able to, you know, walk through the hallways and see the history that happened or, or you know, even a modern prisons, you know, can you survive a day? Can you survive a day in a modern prison? Uh, you know, it's, it's just the opportunity to step into somebody else's reality. And that's a huge part of developing empathy for people you've never met or, or never even thought that you might care about. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a fantastic version of Alcatraz, right? It can be a, an actual prison today and, and just a day in the life type of thing, right? But it's a, it's a VR experience and you can look around and you can follow people around and, and see what it's like. I don't think, man, I don't, I don't know if that would happen. <laughs> I don't know who, who would allow that. Um, I mean, it's kind of the same conundrum that social impact games already are facing, which is, you know, you're making this game because you want people to have a better understanding of whatever it is you're talking about. But really, the only people who are going to play your game are probably the ones who already are on board with what you're trying to say. So uh, I remember, I think it was two years ago now, I got interviewed by a newspaper that was covering a VR game that taught women like self-assertive skills kind of teach about sexual harassment and to 
uh, empower women to say no to men at bars and things like that. And the whole idea is that you're trying to raise awareness in dudes to stop sexually harassing women, like no means no, and or even better, you know, wait for the enthusiastic yes and don't be a creeper. And instead, the game is going to be played by people who already agree that those are bad things, like trying to get somebody who thinks that, you know, grabbing a woman in public is okay, or that women like being catcalled, and the likelihood that they are voluntarily going to sit down and play a game that tells them that their behavior is bad uh, is, is not very likely. So that's definitely a challenge uh, in the social impact game space. And, you know, probably one you might have as well, if you're developing some kind of interactive or game experience about being incarcerated. I, I often think about the potential of a mod for a game that already exists, and how that's a way to kind of like to leap forward in terms of game design, right? Like you don't know how to build everything, but you can modify one game to to kind of build in that experience. And, you know, multiple people have told me like, it just it just doesn't work. Like you need to build something from the ground up that's that's that vision that you have, you know, to to really share that story. And I think I think that's why at least I know that the the attractive thing about A Way Out is that it's like two-player cooperative narrative. But what I remembered was, whoa, like that's a, again, like being in a prison and being in that setting and it being systematic uh, and being cinematic was was kind of what stayed with me. So I'm looking forward to that game more for that aspect and for like the connection between two people who are in jail and meet each other and they come up with a goal and then you get to kind of see what they're what they're going through. I think again, more more people will have to care about this, and and I hope that that Waypoint's coverage kind of, you know, makes people think about this um, the same way it has for for us. Because I've had ideas um, in in the past, and and now I'm thinking about how I could kind of integrate some ideas of prison culture, or even just the idea that games are being played in prison and seen as beneficial is is just so good to hear. And it kind of adds this additional layer of like, well, you know, I have these old games, maybe I don't want to play them anymore. Maybe I want to donate something. Is there a, libra- a games library I can contribute to? And I'd love to talk to people who were in prison and maybe, you know, games were a positive part of their experience and something they were that was able to help them get through it or or, or learn something. I don't know. I think there's, there's a lot to think about there that that I would not have thought about if it weren't for kind of this deep dive that the Waypoint covered two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I My hat's off to them uh, for going out there and exploring a, a place where you probably, you might expect mental health, but you don't necessarily expect games. And that to me is always the, the most interesting intersections when you find things that you don't think will go together, but then there they are colliding and, and creating an experience that's you you probably couldn't have imagined uh, happening anywhere else, or at least the the potential impact that it has. You know, just the ability to play chess while incarcerated. You know, that's just, it's not just a game. It's a it's a social mechanism. It's a way to help your mental health. It's a way to stimulate your mind. It's a way to grow as a person. And all these things are just inherent when you play a game. Um, and so I think it does a lot to push the narrative that games aren't just you know, children's toys or any other kind of um, diminutive word you might want to use to, to describe them, to poo-poo them as something that's not not important. And I think that the series really underscores that games are important. They're important to who we are as as humans. And, you know, they're, they're kind of one of those 
I mean, as we talked about earlier, a, a, a basic part of our humanity that's guaranteed uh, even to people who are detained in, in Gitmo. That's a pretty rigging endorsement for games, at least for me. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And and that games actually play a part in the experience of working at a jail, being in a jail. It's amazing, right, to think about how games can be a part of so many different cultures and experiences and how they can help form them in a way. Because after reading these articles, I can't imagine walking away thinking like, well, everything would be exactly the same if there were no games there. You know, I think they do have an effect. I don't want to live in a world without games. Luckily, we do not. <laughs> Woo! And you also don't live in a world without gaming podcasts. If you want more headshots, <laughs> visit headshotspodcast.com. We are part of the Geek Therapy Network. In an effort to build community, we've set up a Discord server. So go to geektherapy.com slash Discord and join our Discord server. Trying to get some games organized there. I just started a channel for Disney Emoji Blitz. So for people who like that game, we can talk about it a little bit. And um, maybe we can have a link to your conversation about some of the games that, that were in these uh, in the Waypoint coverage. And anything else we talk about here gaming-related, I think that it makes sense to have those conversations in a place where we can also use it to organize games and do some voice chat. I will try to... I will try to discord. <laughs> so we'll be back in two weeks. But in the meantime, you can check us out on Twitter at HeadshotsCast. I am Josue A. Cardona and Kelly is Kelly and Dunlap on Twitter. Thank you for listening.